All right, man. Welcome to Crow Triple Seven Radio. This is episode 240. Uh, Jason Lingren is with me and Derek Condit, who is a keeper of bees. Um, I've actually wanted to do an episode on bees for a long time. Bees are amazing. Uh, if you haven't taken the time to learn about bees, you should. You know how much work I've done on things like time. And almost in every book that I've ever gotten to reference time, uh, bees are included and from a scientific point of view, they come to the conclusion that bees have an onboard clock. Uh, how else could any of this work? How could their little dance direct them exactly to where the food is and all these things? Well, we finally got someone who uh, knows that what I consider to be a higher level. And there's another part of this story. When I came to Rhode Island, we have what's called carpenter bees uh, in San Diego. And they cut a perfectly, almost looks like it's drawn with a compass, a perfectly round hole into wood. Uh, to go in to do their uh, their renewal to make more bees. And so every time you see a home with these, the homeowner gets mad because, of course, this bee is cutting around holes, so they get killed a lot. When I got here to Rhode Island, the eve of the house had just, I don't know, 10 maybe of these holes. And so at that point, I stopped, I went, and I learned about what's called a mason bee or a carpenter bee. And I was amazed by what I found. And I was further amazed to see how many of them get killed. So needless to say, I adjusted. I did not kill those bees. And I hope that what we learn here today uh, gives people a new impression of how important bees are to all of us. Anyhow, welcome, Jason. Good morning. And this is a subject that is vital to understanding nature as a whole. Yeah. When, when you start to understand a little bit about bees, you, how, how did this come to be? How did these... How does all this work? It's amazing. But anyhow, if you don't have anything, uh, we got one hell of a list to get through. That we do. Let's go for it. All right. Welcome, Derek. I appreciate you having me. Thank you very much. Uh, I've been looking forward to this. Um, you're up in the Washington area? I am. I'm located up in Snohomish County, Washington. So that's northern Washington state. All right. So for everyone listening, one of the things we're going to talk about is shungiite. And we've covered this for human use and other episodes with some of the naturopaths, homeopaths. Uh, but this gentleman has figured out a, wheel, a way to deal with the collapse, the bee collapse issue using shungiite. And part of that is he created a new type of hive with the shungiite in it. And I understand you were trying to fund that on a GoFundMe. Is that true? Uh, we did that probably about a year and a half ago um, and made an attempt without much response on that. So um, we did try to keep it going in the movement and the gifting of Shanghai to other beekeepers worldwide ourselves. So is that still in force? Can we link people to that if they want to take an interest in uh, in supporting trying to prevent bees collapsing? Sure. Unfortunately, the GoFundMe campaign did end, but we do take understandings, contributions in any form at mysticalwares.net. And we can be contacted via that email where we are currently trying to set up another campaign to help get the information and shungite out to beekeepers. All right. Typically, when we do a show like this, you are about to get barraged with contacts, particularly when we go into the level of detail we're about to go into. So I set you up an account on crow777radio.com. So when this goes live, what you should do is go to YouTube, which I only post. I don't comment there anymore because of all the censorship. Um, post your link there or your email there, and we'll do the same thing under the full show on pro777radio.com. Okay? Perfect. Absolutely. Thank you very much. We will. All right. Uh, you'll get a response. Anyhow, let's, uh, let's jump right in here. 
Why the heck are bees important to human beings? Are they important to human beings? Oh, yes. And that's there are so many answers to that. And the bees are incredibly important. I mean, us as humans and not just humans, but all animals, life can thank a bee of one type or another for approximately a third of our food because of their pollination, of course. And they have tremendous um, abilities of pollination, be it a honeybee or mason and carpenter bee, as you mentioned earlier. So without bees, of course, the, the limited amount of food that we would have available for us and the natural environment, be it the animals, and then just the propagation of foliage, plants, trees, flowers, all of that, not to even mention the fruit-bearing um, shrubs and trees. So they're important on many levels. Um, and then it's the, there are the benefits of the honey as well as a medicinal use, but really the honey the bees create for themselves to go ahead and get through the winter months. So there's um, lots of need for the bees in city environments and suburban ones both. Well, this brings us around to the so-called mason bee, which I've always called a carpenter bee. Um, here in the East Coast, almost everyone has what's called a bulkhead going down to their basement, which means there's an, a slanted under eave, which usually doesn't get painted. Right now, I think I have about six or seven of the bees tucked in. You can hear them in there crunching their little perfectly round hole. But when I started to educate myself, what I noticed is they are in the garden all the time. They are doing uh, the lion's share sometimes. Uh, they're also critically important to the pollination, are they not? Oh, they are. Mason bees are phenomenal. They're actually much better pollinators than honeybees. Um, a mason bee has about a 95% um, pollination rate, where a honeybee has about a 5% pollination rate. Um, and that's basically describing the amount of flowers that a bee can pollinate itself. And there's actually a, a couple reasons for that. The, the mason bee, which is why you would probably want it around in your garden at home, um, and even to encourage it, and we can get into that a little bit later on how to possibly encourage them to um, have a house or stay around your property. But the mason bee will actually kind of do a, a kamikaze dive into the flowers and just get completely covered with the pollen Hence, picking up more particulates, flying into the next flower, kind of just slamming into it rather than the more graceful but less um, percentage of pollination rate than the honeybee. So um, mason bees, again, it's just phenomenal on the amount of pollination they can actually get done on their own. And for an average size fruit tree, it would take approximately four mason bees to pollinate the entire tree where it would take several thousand honeybees in a day to do the same job. That's pretty amazing. Now, are you guys providing, I started looking into it when I realized that so many are getting killed because people see holes in their eave and they get upset about it. So they basically kill the bees. But now there's little structures that are pretty inexpensive that you can put up that those bees will go nest in instead of carving a hole in your, in your house. Um, do you guys have sources for that? Yeah, we do. And they're actually, um, so little mason or carpenter bee houses. And what you, so often we've seen them, um, at stores, different co-ops or hardware stores in the um, the birdhouse section, or maybe where the bird food is, and people would see them with little tiny, usually uh, a bamboo tube in there or a paper tube. Those are actually carpenter or mason bee houses that you can purchase and just set around your yard. We actually 3D print small ones that we then coat with a shungite paint coating. But either way, you can actually lay either of these houses. Um, on a fence post against a tree, approximately five or six feet from the ground would be best. And then you'll attract mason bees just by having a pre-made home for them. 
And then, of course, you'll benefit from them not needing to burrow into your own house. Um, another way to encourage them to go ahead and um, propagate or get near your land would be to, of course, have mud so you can get some dirt under that beehive that you place, that little mason bee house somewhere in your backyard, and then just provide a little bit of mud on the ground. And again, that'll encourage them. And then they'll begin basically building the walls and such inside of those little tubes. Just so people know, um, and correct me, I may not get this totally right. What happens is typically there's no place to live. They find some wood on your home, they carve in, uh, they make a little home in there, but it's like a cocoon or something that they put in there and that sits all winter long, right? And then they come out in the spring, I guess. Is all that correct? Yeah, yeah. No, you got it right on it. That's, so what happens is in the fall, they'll begin. So they'll dig their little hole again, about the diameter of a pencil. So not real large. And then they'll do, depends on the location, but several inches into the piece of wood or tree or whatever's available. And what they'll actually begin to do, because mason bees or carpenter bees do die off in the fall, what they're doing is building a little room where they're going to lay an egg and then they'll place a little amount of, um, it's sometimes called bee bread or a pollen mixture next to the egg. And then why they're called a mason bee or carpenter bee, they'll begin to construct a little wall and seal off that chamber. So again, inside that narrow tube, the diamond of a pencil and the back end of it, they'll place the first egg, build a wall, and then continue to do this all the way to the opening of the entrance. And then as these eggs in the spring, around 55 degrees is the temperature, they'll start to emerge. They'll have that little pile of pollen in their little room with them. And then they'll start to chew their way through the wall and just kind of crawl out one by one um, again in the springtime. So there it is. Um, it's inexpensive and it saves you from uh, from having to worry about filling holes in the EV or house or other places where they might bore in. And it's a cool thing to watch, by the way. But let's jump in. Let's get down to brass tacks here. What is CCD? And we're not talking about a charge couple device. This has nothing to do with digital. This is all about nature. So can you explain to us uh, why it's critically important for people to understand what CCD is? Absolutely. And it's very important to all of us. Um, so CCD or colony collapse disorder is the umbrella term that's now called when a beekeeper goes out to their hives, typically a honey beehive, but there are different types of bees, as we've mentioned. And then all of a sudden the hive is empty. So it's not that there's a bunch of bees under the hive and maybe possibly there was a wasp attack or a freezing situation or infestation or a number of other issues that can happen. So colony collapse disorder is again, when there are just no bees at the hive and the beekeepers left to wonder what happened. So often, and there's been numerous studies done on this, there are many um, issues that basically contribute to colony collapse disorder. And one of them would be chemicals sprayed in the fields and the crops, of course, but one that's not so commonly known are frequencies. So the EMF fields out there, the cell phones, the Wi-Fi towers, all of these affect bees. So for colony collapse disorder, because the bees do fly, um, think navigation as far as energy lines or ley lines in the air, in addition to other frequencies that are in the environment, those are um, basically think they're signposts. So with these heightened frequencies that are now in our environment, those signposts are disrupted and the bees can't quite see or navigate as before. So often they are out foraging up to seven miles from their beehive, by the way, in the, when we're talking about honeybees. So when they basically are coming back at the end of the day from pollinating and, and or collecting pollen, they get lost, they get disrupted. Um, they can't make it back. So they end up landing where they need to 
it turns into night, so they're not at home with their colony staying warm, and often that leads to losses. So as the bees are out, they're pollinating again, and they just don't find their way home. So this is directly related to the Shungiite. Now, there's a thing I want to cover, uh, and the example I'll use in a moment is the giant Japanese hornet that people have known, where the sting, I've seen them, I was in Japan. Uh, some people can die from getting stung. They're giant. They're like little Godzilla hornets. Um, we'll come to that in a minute, because wasps and hornets do, in fact, attack bees. But how does the Shungiite play into the collapse disorder? Sure, that's actually really interesting because shungite does have an effect on frequencies. Um, we call it attenuation. There's different ways of looking at it and explaining it, but it does have an effect on harmful frequencies or non-biocompatible frequencies, and it's similar to bees and humans. So what we've done is taken shungite in the powdered form, blended it with a paint, and then we painted the exterior and the exterior only of the beehive with this paint. So in essence, you can imagine what's called a Faraday cage. Um, that's something the military or government calls them, where they're in essence an environment or a box or a room that shields various frequencies or um, harmful energies. So by taking the shungite blend mixture in the paint, painting the beehive, on the approximately 50% time the bees are in their hive regenerating, um, working, making the honey, growing the the cells, moving them around, things like that, they're in that more biocompatible field. So they're better able to basically regenerate themselves and stay healthy. So when they do leave the hive in the next day, out into that more harmful environment, they're healthier. So it's just like humans. The more healthy we are, the better we respond to additional, um, basically, issues in our environment, be it chemical, and environmental, or frequency. So with the addition of shungite, and it's not just the shungite, powder in the paint, but we add several nuggets to the entrance of the hive. In essence, you can think of this as a grounding or earthing station for the bees. And that started right away on the very first introduction of Shungite. I laid the nuggets at the entrance and about 95% of the bees walked over to the Shungite all on their own. And I didn't train these bees or anything, of course. Um, and they went over there and what's called grounded or earthed to themselves. And from that moment on, we've had no colony collapse disorder in our Shungite beehives. All right. So people can go see this actually happening. Uh, give them your website address real quick. The, the featured video up top there shows the black Shungite chunks and how the bees interact with it. Can you give the website address? Absolutely. And that video he's talking about is at shungitebeehives.com. So that's S H U N G I T E B E E H I V E S.com. And that video at the top he's talking about is the actual very first video of bees anywhere being introduced to shungite. And you're getting to see the actual response of them. All right. So this relates directly to the new houses that, that you make for bees to live in. And this is what you attempted to fund on GoFundMe without much response. But there's another thing you want to see how amazing bees are. That's amazing. Not only that, there's another video um, that shows bees swarming on, I think it's the summer solstice, which was amazing to me. Uh, people who follow understand why. But let's go back. Um, you mentioned, and I've, I've known this, uh, wasps and hornets can come and attack a beehive. Um, nature always finds a way, doesn't it? You can go on YouTube and look up the giant Japanese hornet attacking a beehive. Uh, it's almost like Godzilla going through Tokyo. This thing is just carving up bees like there's no hope. That they they can't sting it. It's too armored. Everything the bees try to do in mass, they're just there's piles of bees 
falling at the ground as this thing just decimates a hive. And eventually, this is what they do. They all gang together and they lock on to the massive hornet, which is many times their size, and they begin to vibrate. And what they do is they cover it in a ball of bees. They all vibrate together until the temperature of the hornet goes beyond what it can take and the hornet dies. But as you watch the bees just being attacked and having to problem solve um, to save their hive, it's quite an amazing thing. Have you ever seen this footage, Derek? Oh, I've, I've only not seen the footage. I've seen it in person. And they've actually done it to a mouse as well. So a little, a little field mouse crawling in the beehive actually got him back. And of course... They like honey as well, like most living things. So they tried to steal it. Um, and the, the Shungite honeybees, that we call them now, did just what you're saying. They surrounded the mouse as well as, and I've seen wasp attacks as well, um, just as you described. They'll do that. The wasp will basically spin in a little circle and just, um, not to be you know too graphic here, but decapitate the bees until they do just what you're saying, get enough of them on top. And then they'll do just that, just basically cook the wasp or the mouse or really any invader whatsoever with their own bodies. And then after that, they'll actually glue, be it a mouse or a wasp or anything else, um, with propolis. Think of it as a, a bee glue. They'll surround him or in a little cocoon if they can't remove it. So in the case of a mouse, kind of large. So they would then propolis or bee glue the mouse in a corner of the beehive so that it wouldn't interact or... Um, you know, affect the honey or the, the new broods. Wow. So that's almost like putting the mouse in the refrigerator. Is that the idea? So that it doesn't rot? And that's infect exactly. Wow. I did not know that. But let's, let's keep going here. Um, for anyone who's followed our work on the Sky Clock, basically what we're talking about is time. Uh, so many books, and I've gone back, there's a number of books that I really enjoy from the 70s and 80s where people were pondering time. And in each of them, you find the example of how bees navigate. So let's jump into that, Derek, because when we met you, uh, you introduced an idea that I didn't know anything about. I had read all the scientific accounts where, oh, clearly it's this many degrees from the sun and all this kind of weighed and measured scientific ideas. But how in the heck do bees navigate? How do they find one individual bee finds a food source he goes back to the hive and somehow communicates exactly where all the other bees can go precisely to get to that food source. How does it happen? Sure. So I'm going to give it to you from my perspective. So I'm an individual that perceives energies or frequencies on different levels as well. So I'm, I'm only preempting it with that for a reason. There is what's called a bee dance, of course, where they'll wiggle and, and shake different body parts and aim certain ways to um, what's often thought of as a, you know, a direction and a distance. There is something to that. But when um, I started beekeeping years ago and I started observing this same phenomena, the, the wiggle dance, as it's called, I would turn, um, let's, I'll just term it again, perceiving frequencies so I can see energies. And I started noticing little energy lines, little vortexes, things coming off of the bees that had more information in them. So after time and, and watching the bees and um, basically experiencing what they were doing, I realized that they were actually not just shaking or dancing. They were projecting in what we might call other um, frequencies, dimensions, things like that. Basically, what's sometimes called online 4D. So the little dance would be kind of in a two-dimension, um, if you were looking down on it, little dance, but they were spinning frequencies off their bodies that the other bees were responding to. So in essence, little frequency radios is what I would term it. 
So I know some of the tests they initially did when the, I forget the, the guy's name who claims to have discovered that the dance was teaching navigation to the other bees, but on a flat plane, like a tabletop, um, they, they noticed that this was going on. So they began to study it, but then they lifted the tabletop vertically. So it's like a wall now. And what they noticed was that it was direct relation to the sun. It was always on the same side, east or west. I don't remember which. Um, but what you're saying is there's so much more. And when you're talking about 4D, are we talking about the time dimension or are you trying to communicate something totally different? Okay, and that's a tough concept to get across. But yes, I am on both um, responses there. So time and additional. So it's when we're talking about the dance and these additional frequencies, it'd be a comparison would be maybe a human pointing somewhere and giving some arm signals or something like that, and then maybe adding in some words for directional value. So it's multiple layers of perception, and it's for humans as well, but the bees too. So yes, there is a, a time code written in their frequency that they're generating. So in essence, they're they're forming a frequency field around themselves. It can be called the organ field or energy field. And in that, the bees imprinting a location and time and what was at that place. So be it a, um, a garden full of flowers that they needed that type of pollen for, and maybe they're making honey at that time um, because they use it for different things. Well, then the bee will do the dance, generate not a sound. There is a sound as well, but a frequency. And that frequency it goes in all dimensions. So meaning, yes, it would go under the floorboard as well and up. So when I was perceiving this, it looks sort of like what's called a toroidal field or think an energy donut kind of turned on its side with the energy moving and then multiple layers in that. So sort of like you can imagine a record, but in 4D, so with more information or depth to it. It's a difficult concept to get across because of course there are no visuals other than the dance, but we've done similar tests um, with frequency on taking a CD, a compact disc without the player. So there's a frequency on that and placing it under beehives to introduce a particular love frequency to check for different um, effects and things like that. So again, they're yes on the time. They are telling the other bees on time, distance and spatial, but they are reading by um, think energies or we call them sometimes ley lines. Um, in the environment and again that ties into that colony collapse disorder because if we take away their directional markers and i'm not talking about a tree or a bush or something like that but their frequency lines um then we cause big problems so just to put a fine point on it when they first discovered this dance what they realized is that it's exact locations that each bee sets out to go to the new food source which they were providing the food source it was a that's how we got the term bee line well it probably precedes that but that's the idea why we say a, someone made a beeline to something because it's not like close to where they're going. It's exactly where they're going. But use the word orgone in there. Um, I messed around with orgone when I was in San Diego. And what I noticed is a lot of the bugs in my herb garden seem to like it. Have you ever introduced orgone to bees? And if you have, do they, do they like it? Oh, great question. I've actually built an orgone beehive. And uh, just to get there quickly... Think of organ or organ devices as energy devices that those don't know. And it a staggering or layering of organic and uh, materials and or metals. And there's various ways to do this. But I have done this 
with a beehive, think layering um, thin pieces of, and there's a, it's called leaf silver, and then different types of metal you can put outside the beehive, and then a natural substance outside of that, be it cotton, wood, or straw. And in essence, as you stagger or stack these layers, again, of metals and, and copper is a useful one, or organic um, other materials, you get the energy flow or living organ flow moving. So now that beehive has a not just moving, living, loving energy from the bees themselves, which is a 0.1 hertz, by the way, and that's the frequency they generate. Um, but the entire beehive and the surrounding environment does that as well. So what you'll see and why I'm kind of getting at this and mentioning an organite beehive is because the plants and foliage around that environment will also benefit, be it a fruit tree or even the weeds around there by the movement of living energy. And that's what you accomplish by having the, the organite actually built or the beehive built into that, or you can build your own organite device and we make these out of organic beeswax layered with other items, as I mentioned, and place them near the beehive or yourself because it has a, a positive effect on all living things. So wait a minute, man. That's one problem I've had with orgone. Typically, a lot of people making the devices use this totally chemical kind of hard plastic that's see-through. And I've never been down with that. It's too synthetic. Are you suggesting that the orgone you make is bound with beeswax? Oh, absolutely. And that's the only way to do it. Everything matters. And the beeswax, you want organic, of course, because of no chemicals you want. And of course, there's a crystalline structure. So your loving energy matters. So taking just think a little glass, um, a clear glass you would drink water out of, we layer it with a layer of, and we make these devices here at Mystical Wear Store, and you can come in person and do it. So we melt the wax, lay a small layer, and take the natural either shungite nuggets powder gemstones whatever you're drawn to place that layer add another layer of wax and you can continue this effect and then i'll give you an add-on that i came up with just a couple weeks ago i actually took a so now imagine just that clear glass again layered so now it looks like a sandwich of you know usually colors and beeswax because of the crystals and gems maybe you chose or let's say this device is for yourself you could add in a layer of something called turmeric with black pepper. So that's an anti-inflammation frequency that you're adding to your own energy device. So now when this device, and no, it's nothing plugged in, of course, for those that aren't aware of these things, it's just an energy device you keep in your environment to propagate certain frequencies. So again, I mentioned turmeric. So if someone had an inflammation issue, they may want that frequency. If they're in a state of healing from another issue, possibly a layer of some silver leaf. So it would matter on what you put in there. You can think of it as your chosen songs on your playlist for this device. And then what I was getting to with the copper tube is as you build this device, so I'm describing it such so everybody can do this at home. This is about love and energy. So you can do this at home. You can take this copper pipe about, oh, think about an inch diameter, set it upright in your glass before you start this. So when you're done, you have the clear glass, the layers, and the copper pipe in the middle that you can then take little notes and write your intentions on, be it healing energy, love, um, prosperity, whatever your focus is, roll it up, put it in that little tube in that organite device, and it's called quantum entanglement. You are actually putting that frequency in your environment, and that will have an effect. Man, I have been waiting so long to meet someone who took the sin out of the thetic 
to make orgone and get rid of these just noxious chemicals to bind it all. And the other problem I had with it is once you do that, that thing's basically, you know, there's no way to take it apart. Um, but so these are products you provide. We can go to your site and because if you do, I'm getting one of those orgone devices and I'm guessing you got to provide honey too, don't you? Um, we do. We have what's called shungite honey. So we have the shungite honey where there's actually a small amount of shungite in the honey as well. Um, and the bees move that around. And we will have these custom organite devices available where you can pick your ingredients. Because I know it's not everybody can get here to the store to make their own. So yes, they'll be available online for purchase. And it, and it does matter because the chemicals matter um, on every level. So again, the more loving, positive energy, in, in this case, in the form of beeswax, which also, by the way, has what's called, so as it dries or hardens, it has that, think pressure to it. So like piezoelectricity. So it actually will have that pressure. So if you were cognizant enough to say lay crystals in there, you're going to have that effect as well, which is another movement of energy. So there is a, I'm throwing air quotes up here, a recipe, um, and everybody should make their own with the ingredients if they're doing this at home for, um, to make it personal. That's a big difference. That's a big, big difference. Wow. Okay. So I'm going to, I was just going to ask you, I could easily Bogart an episode like this. Jason, do you want to get in or do you want me to Bogart? Well, the topics are very important that we need to get to. You know, I am curious, how bad overall has colony collapse disorder happened all over the world? Because I've been hearing about this for probably 20 years now. Sure. it's um, It's been going on at least that, of course, different variations, and then they term it different things. But we've had the issue, again, for, for decades. And um, so it's a relative answer depending on your environment, but it is worldwide. The numbers are approximately probably close to 80, 90% less honeybees out there, which is why, unfortunately, we have places like California almond fields. And I have been in touch with the largest providers down there of um, the crops and bees, and they are taking shungite and using it on their bees now um, because of the, the removal of chemicals and rads or rad particles by the use of shungite in there. So um, unfortunately, what I was getting at was the almond farmers down there do re regenerate or propagate bees on large numbers because they have such huge losses and they do insist on chemically treating the bees, which you don't need to if you use shungite. So the colony collapse has had a, a massive effect worldwide, um, but there are ways to revert bees back to organic or treatment free, even if you start with a chemically treated beehive. Yeah, it makes me wonder how, you know, these big industries, how the hell come they didn't fund what you're doing? They have a direct issue. You know, I've actually seen videos of people in China hand pollinating almond trees because their bees collapsed. They didn't have any more bees. Um, and they were they were showing how much human power and that it's not really possible even for people going at it in that way, human beings going at it in that way to pollinate the entire tree. So it's just beyond me. Why aren't big corporations all about what you've discovered here and what you're introducing? I can respond to that really quickly too. Um, and actually some have looked at it. The, the biggest issue, and I'll get there quickly, is they refuse to not chemically treat. They want to do or use shungite in conjunction with it. Um, it's kind of like putting a bandaid on a bullet wound. You might want to get the bullet out first. But they're insisting on doing that regardless. Um, so that's that's been our kind of pushback is them saying, well, let's try it with that. Well, the problem is you're still poisoning the bees by putting little acid yeah. strips of paper for the mite issue, let's say. And that's what beekeepers actually do. It's uh, 
an acylic acid. So just a little paper strip they put on the top of the frames of honey so that it kills the mites or pests that are in there. But by the way, there are little honeycomb cells in the honeycomb, of course, that are also absorbing these acids, these chemicals. And that's in essence, think your little honey jar, the bees are putting honey in. So when you're putting or storing honey in a chemically treated cell or honeycomb, well, that's what you're going to get on the store shelf as well. So it does matter. So I guess the message here is, hey, chemical farmers, Zeppelin wrote a song for you. It's called Your Time is Going to Come. You should go listen to it. What's concerning to me is if this has been going on for decades, how much damage has that done overall to, I mean, what would you even call it? Like, not just the environment. It's, it's everything. It's, it has to be having a massive domino effect if that many bees have been taken out of the entire world. I mean, I don't even know how else to put it. It does. It does. And, you know, luckily bees aren't the only pollinators, but they are probably the most important, of course. So it's, it, it also has affected the genetics. So because the bee genetics in populated areas are being so affected, um, they're not propagating. They're not having those natural genetics basically expand into the environment and local populations. So beekeepers are forced to bring in, again, what's called a, a nook, an NUC. So it's a baby beehive that you start with from places like California that are already treated. So you have sick bees on sick honeycomb being introduced in a new environment, usually states away. So they actually transfer these, um, think again, baby beehives or starter hives, they're about half the size all over the United States from these farms in California. So different temperatures, different environments, different humidities. So there are massive losses, not even to mention just the transport issues of, and many of us have seen these semi-trucks on the highway with just hundreds of beehives, well, the bees aren't enjoying the ride. There are massive losses that's harmful to them on just like it would be for a human. So it's it's really devastated it, not just in our local environments, but in nature. So we have had losses of percentages of fruits and vegetables that are available for the wildlife. Um, so it, it really has a devastating effect. Unreal, man. Are there any particular kinds of fruits and vegetables that we're now lacking in overall availability because of all this? Yeah, and that's um, and I think more of the effect is us thinking we know everything as humans and choosing and adjusting the crop. So it's hard to really nail something on the head there as far as the bees. But what we have noticed, and me personally, is in nature, because I'm in the Cascade Forest up here in Washington State, there's an abundance of apple trees, of course, and things like that. So as the bee population dwindles or is not as healthy, those trees don't get pollinated as much, less apples, less seeds to be carried away. So these um, natural groves or um, you know tree farms don't expand in nature as they potentially could. So there, there are, and then many effects we just don't know because again, we're not out there to, to see it happening kind of thing. So are there different kinds of beekeepers or is beekeeping pretty much the same? And by the way, if you have bees, it's called an apiary, right? Absolutely. It's called an apiary. Uh-huh. So there are different types of beekeepers and I'm what's called um, typically, and there's, there's no set concrete terms, but I'm what's called an organic or treatment free beekeeper. So I insist on no chemicals of any kind no um, harmful chemicals in the paints that are on the beehive because that matters as well. No supplemental feeding of the bees. The bees should have enough of their own honey to carry through without a human beekeeper robbing them or overtaking the honey. So on the supplement of food on why it does matter on different types of beekeepers is 
there are things you can buy called bee bread. And believe it or not, I've had beekeepers that have actually gone to places um, like the big box stores. And of course, bought those plastic bears that say honey on them. And that's about the worst thing you can do. It's not honey to start with. It's probably high fructose corn syrup. And then, you know, we'll kind of quickly skip over the fact that it's in a plastic bear that's full of chemicals and the shape matters of the container as well. Whole different topic, but there's a reason bees put their eggs and brood and honey in a hexagon shaped cell. And that's a whole sacred geometry talk, but it's frequency. So it matters. And then if they're using back to the chemicals, adding the chemicals to the hive, that compromises everything from the new brood that's being um, hatched in there or laid to the honey. The, and then the basically all the parts and pieces of the hive will be affected by these different things you introduce, be it metal or chemicals. So you want to stay as natural as you can, no chemicals. And the reason for the false food is often there's metals in those, um, the bear honey I was talking about, or if you're making your own, just during the processing of whatever you're making for the bees, there's often, again, chemicals in that, the, the high fructose corn syrups, that's clearly not a natural sugar that the bees can benefit from. And then you wouldn't want them to process that anyway, just to stick it back into a cell, have you call it honey. So there's the other beekeepers would be the ones that do believe they need to get more involved with bees and go out there and open up the hive every day or every other day, which is not necessary, by the way. If you leave the bees alone, they've been doing it a while. They know how to take care of themselves. So the normal beekeeper that you could say here in the U.S. and unfortunately other places does get over-involved, try and feed or supplement and or not provide the right habitat, hence the beehive. So maybe making it too thin or not in the right area. So there's, there's lots of factors involved. As you were talking, I just realized, check this, Jason, you realized it just dawned on me. There are no angles of sorrow and a natural beehive. And Dirk, just so you know, um, in the old occult writings, the idea of a 90 degree angle is the angles of sorrow because the energy crashes at the corner. Uh, the angles of joy are described as a perfect triangle, like a Y. So the energy comes down and converges like out the tail of a Y. But if you look at what the bees are building, there's no angles of sorrow in there. It just dawned on me. No, you're absolutely right. And there's something to that. And that's why we keep our shungite honey in a glass vessel or jar that's hexagon shaped and it's just for that reason again you can call it sacred geometry there's lots of ways of putting it but it's a movement of energy you want to keep that loving living energy moving regardless if it's around you in your aura field or in that jar of natural organic honey either way it's a beneficial movement of energy man it just kind of feels like we're starting from zero again doesn't it jason (laughs) we got to get busy throwing out everything we thought we knew Well, what's up with the hexagon thing? Is there a brief explanation we can get on the show here? Sure, no problem. Um, And so the hexagon shape, you can add on others. They're called platonic solids. So you can add on the pyramid shape or um, the Merkaba shape. And these are useful by, now I'm just a blunt guy. So really it's your imagination. That's the level or frequency. These shapes really have an effect, not just in the 3D. So if you imagine, so let's go with the hexagon shape. That has a, a movement of energies, not in just 2D. So if you drew the shape, the six-sided hexagon down on a piece of paper, that has a shape too, but it's actually projecting in the other dimensions or fields, again, or frequencies. So knowing that, that would then, as you extrapolate out, turn into what's called a C60 molecule. So what I did was a C and a 60, also known as a buckyball or fullerene. And by the way, 
That's actually also the molecule that is in shungite. And that's not a coincidence, by the way. So knowing that and tying that into what's termed sacred geometry, these are the energy vessels or shapes of the universe. So a way to explain it would be here in the 3D, water is one form of energy we use. And if you wanted some water and I kind of threw it at you, you know, you'd get some of it, have some use for it, but it'd work a whole lot better if you had a vessel or a cup, something to hold it. Well, in the other frequencies or dimensions, those vessels or energy devices are these sacred geometry shapes, the C60 molecule, the, um, if you're wanting to think, advance yourself or physically heal, you can imagine yourself in a pyramid shape. If you wanted metaphysical advancement or higher understandings, you can think the Merkaba. And so what you do is you use your imagination, see yourself in these vessels with the love frequency or shapes, and it holds energies. And the bees know this. And it's not just by chance, of course, why their entire honeycomb is built of thousands of little hexagon cells. And that, that again, holds that living energy. So their brood, their babies in that environment, basically are in the best environment they can have. So it's, um, it benefits on many ways, many levels, and that's not lost on us. Again, that's why we keep it in those glass vessels as well. And it's called, again, sacred geometry, um, platonic solids. A little add-on to that would be if someone was spiritually or metaphysically minded and they wanted to, let's just say, meditate, what I would do is sit down, call myself, imagine that Merkaba around me, that two pyramids inverted for those that aren't aware, it's, it's, um, and they can Google that. But just use that, and then that's a vessel or shape in the etheric that's holding your intent. And that alone will make a huge difference in whatever you're trying to do. And there's lots of places to go with that. But there is a reason to have that etheric vessel or shape in your imagination or mind's eye while you're doing these things. So this would be a good place to address the C60. Um, a lot of people got interested in it, and there's a lot of synthetic C60 out there, which is one of the reasons we wanted Clive DeCarl to come on our show, because he uses natural sources, which is basically just charcoal, not activated charcoal, just nature-made charcoal, um, natural C60. And the way I think about everything now is if it's synthetic, you need to get the sin out of the thetic. In other words, get back to nature where nature is making a thing. And so just for the record, we moved away from any synthetic production of C60. Um, that's not where I'm interested anymore. If it's made in nature, that's where I'm going to go. But I've seen a lot of shows where people who are truly interested in bees are trying to come up with different beehives um, to improve the lives of the bees and make it more natural. So I think the current beehives are called Langstroth. Are they the best? Or are there better ways now that people like you have been going at it? Yes, they are called Langstroths. So those would be the beehives typically people see out in a, a field somewhere that look like white boxes. And as the year progresses, they get taller and they're adding on honey boxes. Um, no, actually, I think those are a terrible beehive. And I do work with them because that's what's not only those, but others as well. Because those are beehives. So you can think of it as a, a studio apartment. That's a beekeeper doing his bare minimum possible in the thickness of the wood, the sizing, the amount, everything, trying to hone it down to that um, point, and which is not a good idea because in nature, bees don't live in a half inch or three quarter inch wood. They, they live in a log that's sometimes over a foot thick. So think insulation, protection, natural saps and oils in there, not chemically treated or painted wood boxes with a bunch of um, nails and metal in them. So the Langstroth hive 
is typically not a good idea. You can get away with it, but typically in most environments, that beekeeper is going to have to wrap or insulate the beehives during the winter just so they don't experience bee losses. So why not have a beehive out of natural materials thick enough and then the same shape? And you can think even hexagon shape or a natural log that's been hollowed out. So there are other ways of doing it. But yes, it takes more effort. But, you know, it's important. So I would go through the effort um, and, and research different ways. Well, another thing that I noticed is that when you're describing that, there would be no angles of sorrow where it be made their home in nature. And those boxes are basically angles of sorrow. But let's jump into honey. Um, I'm big on honey. I've been big on honey for a long time. And I'll remind everyone when we did the uh, episode with the authentic Aboriginal woman from Australia, I mentioned that I knew if you took a tablespoon of raw honey before you went to bed that you would dream like gangbusters. And she kind of laughed in a matter of fact way and made a comment that said, yeah, we've known about that for like millennium, like uh, you white people need to catch up or something like that. Uh, but let's get into honey. Uh, you know, the kind of processed honey that's runny, the raw honey that's more firm. Uh, what is it about honey? What's best? Uh, what's the difference? Oh, sure. You, you tapped on some great subjects there. And when you mentioned that honey, um, so that's what we do too. So it's a honey, think of it more as a supplement rather than a sweetener, of course. So you don't need to necessarily lather up your whole piece of toast with it. You can just dip your finger in there and get a small amount, which is what we recommend with our shungite honey is because it is frequency and it's about enzymes and living energy. You can dip your finger and commonly there's an unknown chakra point for those that are aware where chakras are energy centers on the roof of your mouth. So if you take honey, any organic or raw honey, a few drops under your tongue, touch your tongue to the roof of your mouth. You've made an energy connection point. I know this is a little bit off of honey, but it does matter and ties in. You've now accessed those additional frequencies to that natural raw honey, and you'll benefit from it, not just um, on the microbiome um, and then the antibacterial qualities of honey on you physically, but metaphysically. So think higher abilities, higher chakras, higher understandings, it will affect that as well, um, which is why it was used through the ages. And then clearly raw organic honey, which is honey that's been non-pasteurized. So that's when you boil the honey, you're actually removing all the, the beneficial enzymes and probiotics, um, antifungal qualities, antimicrobial qualities, all the good stuff and energies that you're not seeing with your visual eyes. Um, you're removing all of that by pasteurizing or cooking the honey. Again, that's what those plastic bears are about. So if you leave it raw or organic um, or unpasteurized, however it's termed, that's when you're getting that living energy and you're actually getting the microbiome that will benefit you, not just, again, on the digestive level, which it will. And honey is also the best antibiotic on the planet. So if we're talking open wounds, um, a scratch, something like that, it takes care of all harmful bacteria and viruses as well. And that's, that's again, the natural raw honey. So wait a minute here. Are you saying that all runny honey that's kind of see-through has been, had the life removed from it? Is that what you're saying here? That's processed, that's, that's been pasteurized for it to oh, be kind yeah. of runny. So, so what we're saying here is the raw honey, it almost looks like butter, but a little more solid than butter, but you can't see through it. So that's got the life in it still, right? 
Yeah, and it's difficult to come down concrete on it, but yes, typically will be the answer in that one. So a raw honey that is never, so if it's a raw honey, it will crystallize. It'll get hard. It'll turn solid, and that's not a problem. It can stay that way as they've already shown for over 8,000 years. We found mummies with honey tucked into them, and it's actually edible today. I wouldn't eat it myself, but it's still edible. So yes, you'd want the raw honey. Um, and again, so you, that way, you know, your honey is raw or unpasteurized is because it will crystallize. If it's been tainted or a percentage of something else, it won't crystallize. So that's, that's one way of doing it. Um, and then there's different ways of, there's a YouTube video on it where you can take a drop of honey, drop it in water, see how far fast it dissipates. But really, rather than going through all these tests to test your honey, just find a, a good organic or become one treatment-free beekeeper and, and source your honey from there, then you're supporting the right energies, the environment, and everything that goes along with that. Honey and bees are almost magical. And for anyone who's not aware, go get raw honey and take a teaspoon to a tablespoon before bedtime and you will dream your butt off. But I started to read very old accounts from I think the early 1800s where they knew darn well that back in the day before modern science and medicine, any burn that was treated with honey, it was coated with honey, which sealed the wound, uh, the antibiotic qualities. But Derek, are you aware of, uh, of taking honey before bedtime and dreaming like there's no tomorrow? Oh yes, I have. And I've done just that. And you're right on the money. That's exactly what happens in addition to while we sleep, of course, we're regenerating our organ or aura field. So we're, we're healing physically. So you're not only just having those heightened senses where your chakra is kind of going off the charts. So you have these vivid dreams and connections and understandings while you dream. So you actually accomplish things as well, but you heal physically. So there are so many reasons to do just what you said. Take that teaspoon or tablespoon of the raw organic honey. And then it is a crystalline structure like water, like us. So I would suggest adding the next ingredient, your intent. So take it, consume it, just your thoughts and feelings, have them, overlay them in that. And then that's going to be an additional frequency you'll benefit from. Another thing I noticed is you don't wake up with morning breath if you take honey before bedtime. And I think everyone can put that together. But so basically what we're talking about uh, in all of this is we're getting back around to discovering the importance of frequencies. I've done a number of shows saying one of the most important things that we've lost is how cymatics works or the vibrations and frequencies of our world. So we've kind of demonstrated that there are no angles of sorrow in the honeycomb where the honey is made, that the honey is holding an almost etheric frequency, um, a positive frequency, which is also proven out when you know honey is hundreds of years old and it can still be eaten. Um, that tells you something about it because there's no there's no putrefaction, there's no decay, which is true of almost everything in the material world. But can you program the honey? Can you program it to hold a frequency you want? You just kind of touched on it for the bedtime honey, but say you've got a nice raw hexagonal shaped jar of honey. Uh, can you program that like Dr. Emoto did, you know, putting love or some intention into that honey? That's exactly how you do it. And you nailed it again. Um, and we have worked with physicists on this. So I'm not just a, a physics minded individual, but a metaphysics and there is no separation there. So with that understanding, absolutely you can and that frequency generated and there is already a frequency bees generate and a cat does during their purr and again it's a healing frequency 
So that bee, that buzz a bee make, if you're around it and you have loving, healing thoughts, that affects your energy field and you heal yourself is what it does. So yes, on the honey, I would hold it in your energy field. So in your hand, just like you're saying, and then have and hold that feeling, that welling up sensation of love around your chest that we all feel. That's your programmable field. So do that. Hold your intent, just your imagination, again, to be blunt. And then that's what will be programmed in that honey. And it will hold it for that individual that held it. All right. So we need to start wrapping up our one. I would also point out Dr. Emoto proved simply writing on a paper label, something like healing or love will also affect the memory of both water or in this case, probably honey. You want to know how magical and perfect nature is in its delivery. The example of righteousness, learn about bees. It's one of the main reasons we're doing this episode. Jason, we got to wrap up our one of 240. Is there anything you want to get in before we close? So is the best kind of honey that anyone could use or should use would be the raw stuff and preferably the local to the area you live in? Exactly. Do you want to keep it local? Of course, because of the local um, pollens and things to help with potential allergies and other enzyme issues. And then, yes, you want the organic or raw um, treatment-free beekeeper. And then if you can from there, you'd want to go you look next in your beekeeper or the apiary that maybe... Um, was a little more metaphysically or spiritually minded because then they know that love matters and that's where we come in. So we don't even wear bee suits with our beehives because we walk out there in love and then that in the environment and they feel it. So they respond right away. So yes, raw would be the best. Man, you guys got to keep recording videos of what you're about so people can understand. But we've run out of time for hour one. When we come back, there is so much more in the list that we're going to get to. And this is... You know, these are the things we overlook. We see bees in our garden. We don't even think twice about them. And yet most of us don't know a darn thing about them. If you're going to start paying attention to neighbor nature, why not start here? Look at the amazing example that honeybees are to the perfection or righteous example of the perfection we call nature. But that does bring hour one of episode 240 to a close. Join us on the other side where we're going to get into so many things I can't even begin to list them at crow777radio.com, C-R-R-O-W-777 radio.com. That is the only real crow site in the world. All the others are frauds and up to no good. There it is, man. Join us on the other side. Cheers.
wannabes, the 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 wannabes